Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. How you guys doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to give some love to the Garner community. Love you guys over there. To the internet campus, to the television ministry, to the Daughters of the King at NCCIW. Honor you ladies over there. To you guys here today, welcome, 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 welcome to installment one, part one of Ephesians. I am so thrilled that you are here. And uh, if you are uh, ever away, you need to know that you can always check this out at our internet campus, which is New Hope NC Live. Dot org, or you can just go to our website, newhopenc.org, scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see the iCampus deal. So really warm welcome to those of you checking it out tonight via the iCampus at 8 p.m. Hey, uh, man, we had a great week this week. Had a great week. Started out on Monday with Abundant Life. Can I show you this month's uh, members, uh, Abundant Life class? Here you go. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome those guys. Welcome those guys. Glad y'all are a part of us. And then, and listen, while we're doing it here, we've started streaming, using technology again, to stream the Abundant Life class from here at Central to our Garner campus. So look what they had joined the church on Monday night. Give it up for those folks. Yeah. It seems like just yesterday that those were the Abundant Life classes that we were having. It's just praise God for those folks. I think Derek said there were 12, and all 12 of them joined the church on Monday night. Very very cool. Hey, um, check it out. Two Sundays left. Two Sundays left, okay? Um, today and May 20th. Today and May 20th. Are you going to come on May 20th? Awesome. I, 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 maybe you're thinking about Sunday morning. I hope you're going to come on Sunday morning, May 20th. But are you going to come back Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m.? For I'm talking old school, baby. I'm talking like lunch on the grounds, as they used to say, right? I'm talking we're going to have tables. I'm talking you actually cooking something and bringing it in one of those. I'm, this is old school. Tupperware containers. And you're like, well, I don't have time. I've already said this. Don't worry. Go pick something up at a restaurant. If you really want to fool us, throw that bad boy in a Tupperware container and bring it on. Or... Bring it in the bag that you get it with. It doesn't matter. We don't care, okay? There are going to be lots of games, lots of food, believers' baptisms, and baby dedications. So if you want to get baptized, mark your Connect card, okay? Mark your Connect card. Great music, great music. Um, lots of hugs. Like, I want to hug all of you. And you're like, really? Like, really? I'm going to be a hugging machine on May 20th. I want to get the next five years worth of hugs on May 20th. Okay? Will you join me? Big party on the patio, man. We, we're, ju we're just going to have, we're going to have cornhole. We're going to have basketball tournaments. We're going to have all kinds of games. It's going to be a blast. And uh, pray for me because today, today I am heading to the airport uh, very quickly. Um, heading to the airport with a group of people that's sitting over here to my left, your right. And some who didn't make it, they're going to meet us at the airport. And uh, my techies tell me, they, they always amaze me, that for the next few services, like if you're at the 1010 or the noon crowd, you're going to do what Coffee House and Garner and NCCIW do all the time. They've installed a new screen here, so a screen's going to drop down, and y'all going to be like video teaching just like the other campuses. And we're going to be on our way to the Holy Land. And uh, we're going to have baptisms in the Jordan River. 
and I'm so pumped up, and uh, I'm going to preach three messages over there, uh, three messages that I've worked on this week, and going to preach those, and they're going to be shown this summer when I am on sabbatical, and uh, then I am coming back in August, and it's going to be a great, great summer, and you're like, well, I want to go to the Holy Land. Okay. Don't worry, we'll go again. Uh, the, the crowd has been so enthusiastic and such a big crowd this year. We'll probably do this going forward. We'll try to get it every other year or so. So just stay tuned. We will go to the Holy Land. Okay, did you bring your Bibles? Open them up to the book of Ephesians. Open them up to the book of Ephesians. Now, I have this theory about um, books of the Bible and Bible teaching. And my theory is this. You can only understand a book of the Bible if you understand why it was written. And a lot of people look at Ephesians and they, they, they love it because it is a very, very theological book. It is a very doctrinally rich book. And so they love it. But what I want to camp out on in the very beginning is just to let you know why the book is written. So let's just, before we get into this series, and this is a six-part series. You don't want to miss a single Sunday. I mean, it's going to be incredible every single week. We've got some amazing teachers helping us unpack the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at one chapter per week. So just read that chapter before you bust up in here on Sunday and you will be good to go. Bring your Bible, grab the pen, get your teaching notes, lean in. Ephesians is unbelievable. Ephesians was written by who? By Paul. Okay, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Let's read it together. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you are still thinking about May 20th, and you're thinking about, like, me going to the Holy Land, and some of you are still trying to figure out, like, what does he mean he's flying out but teaching on a screen and all of that? Let's get into the Word. You ready? You, 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 you ready? Let, let's read that again. Let's read that again like it's the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Can you feel the difference? See, see what happens? So the, the book is written by the apostle Paul. And the book is written to who? To who? God's holy people. The book is written to the church. To the ecclesia. To the what? I want to teach you a word. To the ecclesia. E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia. It means church. It literally means the called out. The gathered people of God. So Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Okay? And so instead of seeing Ephesians as nothing more than a very, very rich theological book, which is awesome for those of us who love theology, it's much more than that. The book of Ephesians is, is a healthy ecclesiology of the church. It, it is to help us understand how we are to live and move and breathe and have our being as a church. Alan Hirsch, in his book, The Permanent Revolution, states this. He says, if you were to ask Paul, and I agree with him, which is why I'm sharing this quote. He says, if you were to ask Paul to give you which book would be the best book for understanding how the church is to operate, he would throw down the book of Ephesians and slap it on the table and say, there it is. Karl Barth, the great theologian Karl Barth, said there's no book in the Bible like Ephesians which serves as a, a church manual for how we are to live as a community 
of faith. And what's even more interesting than all of that is the similarities between the city of Ephesus and central North Carolina. And again, if you got your Bibles, these are the kind of things you should take notes in the margins of your Bible. Like I have the first page of Ephesians just marked all up with these kinds of things. Ephesus was the leading city in the richest region in the Roman Empire. Okay? So in many ways, it's a bit like central North Carolina in the midst of North Carolina. Okay? It was a port city. It was a hub in the region where boats would dock and their products would be distributed all over Asia Minor. Okay? Because of that, it was cosmopolitan, listen, and multi-ethnic. People from all over the world came there to live, which created a lot of racial and religious diversity. Come on, come on. And a lot of racial and religious tension. Okay? As all these people lived beside each other. Again, a lot like central North Carolina. Ephesus was economically stratified. Historians tell us you had the really rich living beside the really poor. You see that all over this area, particularly in parts of Durham. It was an extremely spiritual city. There were over 50 different gods who had temples in Ephesus. Now, you might go, well, that's not like central North Carolina. Oh, I beg to differ. Let me tell you about Central North Carolina, which you might not know. Just a little perspective. Here in RDU, we have the largest influx of religions anywhere on the East Coast. Did you know this? Check this out. They have built here one of the largest Mormon temples and Muslim mosques south of D.C., and they announced plans to build one of the largest Hindu and Buddhist temples here in the next few years. Why? Here's why. This is the educational and research hub of America, like where you're living. Sometimes we take it for granted. I mean, there's nothing like Central North Carolina. This is the educational research hub of North Carolina, and people are swarming here from all over the world wanting to get educated and wanting to embark in the research triangle park and actually stay in put. The biggest temple in Ephesus was dedicated to the goddess Artemis, okay? And there's a temple. There's two temples in Ephesus, which I've been to, by the way, when I went to the Holy Land in 1997, which unfortunately, guys, we're not going to get to go to um, this trip. But there's the temple, okay, in Ephesus. Let me show you another one, okay? Unbelievable temple areas in Ephesus. Let me show you Artemis, two pics of Artemis. Here's the first one, okay? That's in a, that's in a museum, so that's a little harder to see. But let me show you the other one. There it is. In the, and as you come into this city of Ephesus and you walk into this beautiful kind of um, central area in the old city, you see all the, the ruins of antiquity in the city. And in the middle was the original statue of Artemis, carved out of a meteorite that fell from the sky. She was seen as the protector of the city, the one who gave prosperity to the city. Now, Paul... Paul was captivated with the city of Ephesus. He loved the church at Ephesus. It and Philippi, they were his favorite churches. And you say, well, can pastors have favorite communities? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in the same way that Ephesus was Paul's favorite ministry and church, um, I hope you know, and I tried to say this in the newsletter on Friday, um, you're mine. 
I love, I love you guys. And I've been just overtaken with emotion these days as I'm getting ready to leave uh, for three months. And I just want you to know that in the same way that Paul just loved Ephesians and loved that community, I love you guys and I am going to miss you. I am already starting to struggle with it, but I just want you to know that as I get ready to leave. Um, enough of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, to you. To you. And you over there and all the campuses. So, so check this out. Go to Ephesians 3, verses, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Okay, see how quickly I wanted to move on from the warm, fuzzy, mushy stuff? Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was writing the newsletter on Friday, and I was, I was talking about how much I love you guys, and I actually had tears start rolling down my cheeks. And, uh, man, it's just like, whoa, where's all that come from? Um, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 sounds like a bunch of verses, but guess what? In the original Greek, it's one sentence. One sentence. And so I'm going to ask you here at Central and all of our campuses, I'm going to ask us to do something that I like to do from time to time. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. These verses will not be on the screens, but you can follow along if you brought your Bible. Here's <laughs> one sentence. Lean in, church. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What a sentence! Yes, in the English language, it would be considered a run-on sentence. But in the Greek, man, Paul just gets going, man, and he can't stop. And he just, he says one thing, and then he throws something else on top of it. And I want you to just let your eyes, if you've got your Bibles, fall right over there to Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, because this is what I'm praying for you today. Paul, after he states this long sentence, and you kind of you picture Paul, then takes a deep breath. And, and to summarize it all, he says, I pray also... That the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the applying of his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, would you, would you enlighten our hearts? Would you speak to us this day, Father? Would you move mightily in our midst? God, we lay ourselves before the word of God and ask that you have your way here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go get this, church. Let's go get this. There was a song back in the, in the 90s that the contemporary church sang a lot of, and we've kind of hit it from time to time in here, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Remember that? Open the Eyes of My Heart. I don't know. I need to ask, I need to ask some of our worship leaders around here. I wonder if Paul Balash kind of used this verse to kind of come up with, with that. When Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's what I'm hoping will happen here today. And here's how Paul is praying, and here is how Paul starts out this book in the very first chapter to the church that he just loved here's here are the ways in which he is desiring for the church to have the eyes of their heart enlightened the first one is this the hope the hope to which he has called you you're taking notes write that down hope now for a church (laughs) that happens to be named new hope you would think we would really be passionate about this one right everybody needs hope amen but have you noticed? Have you noticed that we live in a day and age and a culture where hope is in short supply? And it's not that hope is in short supply as much as everyone is trying to convince us that hope is in short supply. Like, glory, hallelujah. We got the political season upon us. Oh, my Lord. I'm so thankful I'm going to be out of the country for some of it. Oh, can, can I just you do know, you do know, don't you, that no politician is going to save you? That was a really strong 50, 50% of you. Let's go after the other 50% at all the other campuses in Garner. You do know that a politician is not going to save you, don't you? That's, that's better. And you do know that, that whichever one you choose, he's going to have faults too. Neither one of them is perfect. And you do know, don't you, that for the rest of the year, as you listen to all the political sound bites, each candidate will try to convince us that if the other candidate gets elected, there will be no hope. <laughs> I mean, we might as well just all just jump off the cliff. If you, you know, every one of them is going to tell you there, there's no hope, okay? It, that's just the way it is. John Peterson with the W. Alton Jones Foundation, I, I recently read this. He said, a hundred or more novel chemicals are swimming around in our bloodstream today. Chemicals which, before this century, were not found in human beings. It makes us all, as well as our children and grandchildren, a walking experiment, one with completely unknown results. No hope. I mean, it's just, oh, Lord, now we got all this stuff swimming around in our bodies. We have no hope, Right? Right? If you, listen to, if you listen to the scientists talking about all the constant climate change, right? And, uh, you know, don't worry. I'm not going to get into that one. You, don't, you actually don't want me to get into that one. 
Okay, But the increasing frequency of strange weather and hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and volcanic eruptions, right? If you listen to it, you just conclude no hope. Just no hope, right? I recently saw a cartoon where two planets were passing each other. And one planet asked the other planet, how are you? And the other planet replied, I'm not very well. I've got homo sapiens. <laughs> to which the first planet replied, oh, don't worry. It will soon pass. No hope. Everybody's trying to tell us that there's no hope. And I realize that if you just look at things on the face value, on the surface, and if you just read the newspapers and look at the Internet sites and just live life in this world, you can conclude, mistakenly so, that there is no hope. And it is on to this bleak, dark stage that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says, Oh, I just came by to tell you about a hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. A few years ago, you want that's hope. Listen, hope is our word. Hope belongs to the church, baby. And Paul says this in Ephesians 1:3. Praise be to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the what? Oh, my lanta. In the heavenly realms, God has blessed us with every, with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians busts onto the scene and says, don't you dare let people steal your hope. Don't you dare let some politician steal your hope. Don't you dare let some scientist steal your hope. If you know Christ, there is hope because he has blessed you, beloved, from the heavenly realms. He has blessed you and given you everything that you need. I like the way the old hymn used to sing it. Our hope is built on nothing less, come on church, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There is a hope. And before we just get too ranting and raving around here and don't live with our feet in reality, let me let you know I understand reality. And you do too. And it happened this week in our church. Whereby a 19-year-old boy who goes to Appalachian State, and he and his family are members at this church, decided that he and his ROTC buddies were going to go to Tennessee and run a half marathon. And they went down there and they ran a half marathon. And on mile... 12, I think it was, and for those of you who don't run a half marathon, it's like 13.2. On mile 12, he got wobbly, and his buddies finally stopped, and he collapsed and had a heat stroke. This is a 19-year-old scrapping boy whose only desire was to finish college and go be a lieutenant colonel in the military, had a heart for Pakistan. After the heat stroke, his temp kept spiking at about 106. Organs started shutting down. Everyone started praying around the clock. Brain eventually started swelling to the point that it pushed into the spinal area. And the family had to make the hard decision. And he's gone. He's gone. 
And on face value, the only good that seems to come out of it is that I just got word that his heart was okay and they're able to harvest his heart and maybe a few other organs and donate them. As, as staff, as pastors and staff, and I just walked around the ministry center this week and we just were like, oh, really? And we just prayed and, and we wept and this, this theme just kept coming up as I would hear pastors talking about it here and staff people talking about it here. It just kept coming up and, and this was the theme. Oh, the only hope, the only hope in this world is found in Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, you just need to know if you're looking for hope, truth is, beloved, you're looking for hope in all the wrong places unless you're looking for it in Jesus. Because it is in situations like that, listen, guys, that the church, we, with, without Jesus, without his death, without his resurrection, we should be pitied among all people. Why? Because there is no hope. But when you know Christ, as Chris knew Christ, and as his lovely mother Trish knows Christ, and she sung in the choir, by the way. Not today, but she sings in the choir. When you, when you know Christ as they do, it is the only anchor, it is the only rock on which you can set your feet when the sands of life start to crumble. There is a hope, church. And Paul says from the very beginning, he says, listen, I know life's going to beat you up. I know it's going to be hard. I know you're going to struggle with our mere mortality. But check it out. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us from the heavenly realms. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The hymn goes on, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high church, you might be on a high today, or you might be right there with the Hasbrocks at the deepest low. In every high and every low, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. What does it say? All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you just praise the God of hope today? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for hope. Here's the second thing that Paul talks about. He talks about the glorious inheritance, the riches, if you will, of his inglorious inheritance. When the eyes of our hearts are opened, we not only see that our only hope is in Christ, but we actually start to understand that God has given us a glorious inheritance from the heavenly realms, beloved. And I want to talk to you real quickly today. Come on. We're going to talk about a, a highly debated topic. Okay? So I need you to put your thinking caps on. We're going to talk about predestination. And when I read the passage earlier and I said the word, he predestined us. You old school Presbyterians, you piped up. <laughs> you, you, ooh, you, you heard it. You heard it as a kid. We're going to talk about predestination. Look at what verse 4 and 5 says. Verse 4 and 5. For he chose us in him. 
before the creation of the world to be holy and what? Blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Now, ladies, it's, it's just a masculine language in that day. As his sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Here it is. Are you ready? Here it is. It's an awesome thought. Before the world was established, God knew you and he loved you. You say, no, he didn't. No, yes, he did. Before the world, before the creation of the world, God has always existed and he always will. The Bible says, and listen, this is when you, when you really understand predestination. It is one of the most comforting doctrines in the church. Now, it has been mistakenly understood and taught in many, many ways. And I'm going to talk about that. But when you understand it rightly, it is one of the most comforting doctrines of security and, and, and self-identity before the creation of the world. Not before you were born. I'm talking, I'm talking way before that. Before the creation of the world, God in all of his sovereignty and all of his knowledge and all of his omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, and before all of that, in all of that, God knew you and he loved you. And he chose you. He chose you. The Bible says that he loves you so much. And he chose you. Listen, beloved, before there was even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, he chose you. And when you get this, it, it actually starts to change the language we use. Like when I became a Christian in October 1988, here's how I was taught to say it. You know, every, every church, every, I mean, Christians, we have this, we have this vocabulary. And I, I kind of sometimes try to pull us out of our vocabularies because sometimes our vocabularies are off. And one of the vocabularies I grew up saying is once, once a person became a Christian, I found Jesus. I found Christ. I mean, I found Christ. October 23rd, 1988, I was saved. I was really, really lost, about as lost as an Easter egg. God saved me. I became really, really saved. And I talked about I found Christ. Well, you know what I meant, and I know what I meant, but guess what? I didn't find Christ. Christ found me. Christ found me. He had been searching for me. He chose me from the very beginning of the world. And when you get this, guys, when you start to understand, listen, that the Father, if you're saved, I'm talking to the saved group here today. If you're not saved and you're still looking for hope, man, we're so glad you're here. And I pray you'll give your life to Christ today. But if you're saved today, listen, the triune God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has planned and has worked out every little aspect and every big aspect of your salvation. He has done it. You didn't find him. He found you. He saved you. And it is the most beautiful, comforting thing. Could, could you just let that sink in before we move on? There is nothing that you could hope for right now from God more than you already have in God. 
That's how big he is. This is the portrait that Paul is trying to paint. He could not love you more than he does right now. Like, he loves you. Warts and all. He loves you. And he, he chose you. He knew you. You, you were like on his mind. You were like on his heart. He, he planned out the steps of your life, the good and the bad. Oh, my Lord, he uses the bad situations to bring. And, and when God is working out your salvation and choosing you and coming after you, and, and you might say, well, doesn't that impact free will? No, 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 no. You still have free will. God's predestination never negates the fact that he gave us free will. And the ability to choose him. But when God starts working out and planning out a person's salvation and he chooses them. And then that person's free will intersects with God's predestinating love and salvation. Luke 15 says the angels in heaven rejoice. Predestination is awesome. It's a, it, it's, it's a neglected doctrine in the church and one of the reasons it's neglected is because some people i believe take it too far now some of you staunch calvinists you're going to want to grab me in the rotunda and talk to me about this and argue with me and i do have a little bit of time and then i'm going to the airport um, <laughs> but but because some of you are sitting there thinking you're going well well if he chose me you know why did he choose me and why did he not choose everybody else or why did, he, why did he choose me and not choose that person that gets on my last nerves that I have to work with Monday through Friday, right? Right? <laughs> See, I think that kind of selective predestination is not biblical. Like, to understand predestination, I believe you got to understand, listen, that God chose everyone. Like John 3.16, help me out. For God so loved what? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That what? That what, church? Whoever, whosoever. Believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God chose everyone, Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. See, God loves everyone and he chose everyone. What makes predestination a reality is when you understand that God is sovereign and he is all-knowing and he can very well choose everyone. But in his knowledge and in his sovereignty, he knows those who will choose him. He knows those who will have their free will intersect with his predestination and the sparks of salvation will take place. Don't ever fall for this stuff that you hear out there. If you listen, guys, it's out there. It's really out there these days in the reform movement. Oh, my Lord, don't let me go off on the reform movement. And I know some of them are watching this. But they'll try to convince you that, yeah, God chose me, but he didn't choose that neighbor of mine. Or God chose us and he didn't choose it. No, 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 no. God loves everybody. God loves every single person on planet Earth. Now don't give me any of this selective salvation. Say, give me another verse. All right, here it goes. 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting. Now, I looked up that word anyone in the Greek. You're not going to believe this. It actually means anyone. 
It's remarkable, dude. Not, not wanting anyone to perish, but I looked up everyone too. Guess what it means, man? Can you believe that? It actually means everyone. But everyone to come to repentance. But the point of predestination is that God shows you, but God knows what your choice is going to be. Let this, let this boggle your mind for a little bit. God knows where you're going to eat for lunch today, even though you might not even know. Like God knew what you were going to put on today. Even before you knew what you were going to put on. Like, God, God knew that some of you were going to walk into the closet and do the old underwear test. Some of you single guys. I know that's nasty. You know what I'm talking about, guys. You've been there. <laughs> you walk in, you see that thing on the floor, and you can't remember if it's dirty or clean, and you say, I don't know where all that's coming from. It is not in my notes, but I'm liking it. You're a guy and you say you've never done that. You're a liar in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but he knew that you were going to pick up that underwear and smell it. And let this boggle your mind. He even knew what you were going to determine the result to be after you smelled it. Ah, <laughs> uh, I got a plane to catch. I better get going. I better get going. Um, but, but the point, listen, he chose you, beloved. He chose you. Like I could take you to Psalm 139 where the Bible says he intricately formed you in your mother's womb. You know that you've heard that. I could take you to the verse where the Bible says God knows the number of hairs on your head. You know that. But even step back bigger than that. In all of eternity, past and future, he chose you. From the heavenly realms, he knows you. You're talking about something that will build up some, some security and some confidence and some self-esteem. And he loves you. And, and, and when you eventually reached a point where you gave your life to Christ, you didn't really find him. He found you, number one. And number two, check this out. Jesus takes it even further in John chapter 6. Jesus says that you can't even come to him unless he draws you. No one can come to me unless the father draws him or her. So in that day when you came to faith in Christ, beloved, don't you puff yourself up with pride and say, look what I did. I became a Christian. You became a Christian because that Holy Spirit was wooing you, was drawing you, and has been drawing you from the very foundation of the world. And if you don't know him, check it out. Part of his wooing you and drawing you to himself is having you right up in here today. It is not a coincidence that you are here. It is a God instance in which he is still drawing you, beloved, to him. Helkuah is the word. Helkuah. It carries the idea of an irresistible force. The word picture is an image of a desperately hungry man or woman being drawn to food. You know what you like when you're hungry? Oh, Lord. Ravenous. Give me something to eat. Okay? You're just drawn to food. 
That's what the Bible says, that, that, that God is drawing you to himself. Here's the third thing, power and hope. Power and hope, the immeasurable greatness of his power and hope. Now, when you understand the first part that I talked about, and, and that is the hope to which he has called us, and you understand the second part, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the natural question, those of you who are kind of leaned in and you're engaged intellectually, you ask this question, why? Okay? Why did he draw me? Why has he been wooing me? Why has he predestined me to be his adopted son or daughter? Look at verses 7 and 10. Verses 7 through 10. Let's read it out loud. Are you ready, church? Say amen. Here we go. In him we have... Keyword. Keyword. We're going to come back to that. In him we have redemption. Let's go, church. Through his... The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Let's continue. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. One more slide. Here we go. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Here's where Jesus takes over. The Father chose you in the beginning. The Spirit has been wooing you, drawing you. And Paul comes right out of the gate and he says, Here's where Jesus Christ comes into the equation and a